0: Hello and welcome to Public Key, the new podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. We find ourselves in unusual economic times. Inflation in the United States is reaching levels not seen since the early 1980s. The equities markets have fallen sharply after peaking at the beginning of the year, and crypto asset prices have largely tracked that downward trajectory. Bitcoin is now trading at less than half of the all-time high seen last November. Despite all this gloomy news, startup founders are declaring that this is the best time to build and new Web3 companies seem to be launching every week. On this episode, I'm joined by Ed Sim, who's co-founder and managing partner at Boldstart Ventures. We talk about why he first invested in crypto way back in 2014, what it takes to build companies in an economic downturn, how he finds great founders, what crypto tech gets him excited, and why Boldstart just raised two new funds to continue to build their crypto portfolio. Well, Ed, welcome to the show. Glad you could join us.
1: Hey Ian, thanks for having me.
0: Awesome to have you here. I'd love to start off with crypto origin story, and I know your story is a special one because you got into crypto earlier than most. I think maybe you could start out telling us telling us a little bit about how you got into this crazy world of crypto.
1: Yeah. So, look at bold start. We like to say that we're day one investors, which means we partner and collaborate with highly technical founders well before company creation. So, for example, uh, in your predecessor company, Ian, you know, which became Pivotal Software. I was there at the very beginning with Scott Yara, where we led his first round and fast forward, you know, with the open source Greenplum database and IPO to Pivotal, that's kind of our bread and butter. And of course, what we do is, look, we're not smart enough to predict the future, but the founders are. And, you know, we start seeing more and more crypto founders coming around in 2014. And the first one we invested in was a company called ChangeTip. Uh, It was a founder named Nick Sullivan. And he said, you know, I want to make it easy. I'm going to create a payment infrastructure, a payment rails to make it easy for people to send Bitcoin to each other in the fastest way possible. And so he's like, look, my core technology is going to be built around this batch processing system. It costs too much to read and write to the blockchain all the time. So let me kind of aggregate all of it together and then make it really easy for me. For example, I could say, hey, Ian, great catching up. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Have a beer with me at ChangeTip on Twitter. It'd show up and you'd say, a DM, you'd say, you have Bitcoin waiting for you. You click the link and then let's say it will be $8 of Bitcoin sitting there in your wallet after authentication. I mean, it was pretty amazing.
0: That, that's awesome.
1: Suffice to say, we're way ahead of the curve. That was 2014. I think 2015, Pantera came in after us and led around. And then eventually we sold the assets to Airbnb. So that was uh, learning number one. I like to say that pioneers get errors in their backs and we got some errors in our backs, but we learned a lot.
0: I think there's two really interesting parts to that. One, the basic thing that you described there actually launched this year on Twitter, like as an integrated feature where you can go and tip people via tr- Twitter. And I think it runs atop the Jack Mahler's strike network. It's a roll up of uh, payments on the layer two lightning network. Basically the same idea.
1: You're exactly right. We did 10,000 tips in one day where it was called uh, Bitcoin Giving Wednesday or Bitcoin Giving Tuesday back in the day. We did 10,000 tips. I mean, these are tips as small as 10 cents to a dollar. And I remember we made it really easy to donate during the uh, typhoon, I think in Thailand or whatever. So you just nailed it. So that's the whole point is like, we couldn't build the infrastructure and deliver kind of that usage as well, right? It was just the infrastructure first. But Twitter has the audience to kind of do that.
0: So timing is everything. I have to ask, though, in 2014, when uh, Change Tip came around, had you heard of crypto at that point? Were you familiar at all with the space?
1: A little bit. So some of the, once again, developers who, are, you know, because we like to hang out with developers, they were talking about Bitcoin. And so we started buying a little bit of Bitcoin here and there and uh, just, you know, and then we started seeing more crypto kind of founders come around. And that was kind of the first wave, let's say. And yeah, we unfortunately didn't do as much as we should have, but you know, it, we figured, Hey, let's figure out and, and learn how to do it. And then the funny thing again is that after that, when kind of wave two came around let's say 2017, uh, we kept asking ourselves, and this is our core bread and butters, technical founders going after the enterprise. We were like, okay, how do we actually figure out what are the enterprise use cases around this and we partnered with ibm uh, murray week was heading up a uh, at ibm and, and all blockchain and we figured why not create a lab an enterprise lab to help accelerate kind of any founders building out an enterprise blockchain use case and help accelerate that through corporate connections and all these other things so that was launched in 2017 and we brought in a guy named rob bailey to help run it uh and we kind of were in the investment committee and were actively involved and we made five investments through that vehicle after seeing 1500 use cases and these use cases were anything from cold storage right imagine kind of cold storage where you have where you have to track. Uh, the temperature, for example, of the materials that go into a drug and look at that whole cold chain all the way through and how do you do it? And how about kind of looking at bill lading and invoices and things like that? And how about tracking food? Do you want to know where your lettuce came from? If there's a recall, how do you track all that?
0: I've seen that commercial from IBM for sure.
1: (laughs) And then, and then the other one, the one we invested in was a couponing one, right? Think about how many times coupons are lost or kind of copied over and so we had one where P&G and Walmart and IBM and others were involved. And that was one of our five investments. And here's the funniest thing, the learnings. Of the five investments we made, that was the one that went out of business the fastest. So in other words, most of these quote unquote perceived enterprise use cases, you just needed a database. Like you didn't really need the blockchain and all this other stuff around it. But the ones that lived, the ones that did really well were core infrastructure, right? And that that's kind of where... And that's kind of, once again, our bread and butter. But that was one of the big learnings that we had as well, is that the corporates were not used to it. And um, I can talk more about that if you have questions.
0: I've made a statement a couple of times recently where people have been challenging around what's the core use case for for blockchain? And it seems like it's all speculation. And I think the point you made there about database versus blockchain is a good one. Like blockchain in many ways is a difficult or complex to update slow performance database. Right, I mean, there's a lot of negatives that we're hearing people get very loud about, I think, over the last month or so on places like crypto Twitter. Those are all legitimate concerns in my mind. But I think cryptocurrency has proven the utility when you want to have this non-centralized means of exchange of value, where there's a lot of value in being able to disrupt the record of truth. Right, If I could rewrite the transaction to say, I've got all the Bitcoin in the world, no one else has any, that might be valuable to me. So you've got people who are constantly trying. Trying to attack that core system and that problem domain i think requires a lot of the capabilities uh so if you want publicly available database the transaction record is high value so there's a significant return for the bad actors if they can disrupt the state of truth then it gets very interesting and that seems like the core tenants of any use case that that should land on blockchain to me
1: would you agree I agree a thousand percent. And look, you know, some of the investments we made during that time, we led the first round in Block Blockdaemon from the accelerator, which we call M-State, along with Bold Start, the fund. And, you know, our core premise there was once again, taking a Web2 primitive to, it didn't even exist web, in Web3, but just in infrastructure land and saying, hey, who's going to build the Heroku from blockchains? And basically they wanted to, you know, Constantine team wanted to create this node infrastructure where all you have to do is write your application logic. And the notes would automatically uh, be there for you on any network on auto scale. Just with an API. Lo and behold, that took a long time to get there. And one of the applications they discovered was staking, but that was an an example. The other one we did was we unfortunately did not lead the seed round of Fireblocks, but through the M State vehicle we created, we put uh, money into the seed round of Fireblocks. We put money in the seed round of Amber Data, which is a market data platform um, that just raised $30 million from NASDAQ and whatnot. And we also put some money into the Oasis, Oasis protocol. So the point that I'm saying is that this core infrastructure, a lot of it was focused around. DeFi infrastructure, uh, DeFi security. The node infrastructure can still be used for any application, but there's obviously a financial component to it with the staking and some of the other things we're doing there. And then Amber data was providing all the market data you know, on a tick-by-tick basis for people to build applications on top of that. So that's informed a lot of our thesis kind of in the past and new use cases in our minds. I think NFTs were the first use case that, you know, were kind of non-financially related, right? The idea that you could have a shared ledger and have ownership from a creator uh, where they get earned transaction fees in perpetuity, I think is a fascinating, fascinating idea, number one. And number two is I think it's more than JPEGs.
0: Yeah, no, t- totally. Our CEO, Michael Granger, likes to make the comment that last year was the year that crypto got content. Whether that's art or music or gaming, all of a sudden you have something that has value associated with it. Ownership and provenance gets really important. The ability to transfer between parties gets really important. That starts to, to actually leverage some of the power of the underlying infrastructure technology, right?
1: I agree a thousand percent. And as you know, it's kind of like if you build it, they will come. You got to build this infrastructure, but still not easy for consumers to interact, even for a sophisticated technologist to download MetaMask and put money in or, or go to Coinbase and transfer money into MetaMask and then buy an NFT and figure out refreshing it. Does it exist? I mean, this stuff is freaking, freaking complicated still. So I still think we're five to 10 years away. I mean, until Apple built it in and the word NFT or crypto is not even used, then I think it becomes interesting. You know, we made an investment in a company called Valence.xyz, which just got announced last week. And Tom Ricketts, who's the owner of the Chicago Cubs, is also an investor. And what Valence is trying to do, they're building out an enterprise software platform so creators and IP holders can deploy Web3 strategies. And it will be an end-to-end full-service creative studio, a la kind of scientist or Viant. But combined with the tech infrastructure, the minting capabilities, and a proprietary identity layer, which they'll tokenize with a separate kind of token, you know, and that's in our minds, and we're talking to some of the leading brands outside of the Cubs, right? The Cubs are thinking about creating this fan engagement experience where you would embed a crypto wallet into the Chicago Cubs app, but you don't even know it's a crypto wallet. And so now you can have this engagement. So I, I think those are the kinds of things that become very, very interesting over time. And I think the more that people do it and the bigger brands that do it and you know, make it easier and seamless. I think that's going to help uh, unlock more value and, and get away from the quote unquote messes of like stable coins in the news and kind of fraud and all that other stuff. Right.
0: I wanted to keep this podcast kind of out of our normal domain of kind of crime, fraud, scams, because I think your firm is working on is so interesting in terms of building the infrastructure that enables developers to then build useful applications. There seems to be a trend to me when you talk about companies like Blockdaemon and Fireblocks and even you know Valence, even more so, where we're really upping the, the capability of the lower levels of the infrastructure, making it simpler for developers to come in, get started quickly and actually create something that end users find valuable. Like, Is that thematically how you're kind of looking at the market? Are those the types of opportunities that you're looking for?
1: 1,000%. <laughs> we, we use the word crypto infra kind of in our talk. That's exactly what we're doing. I mean, some of the other ones we haven't announced yet include a crypto treasury management platform. So imagine this, you're sitting on lots of tokens as a crypto native company. How do you track all of that? How do you analyze all of that? How do you move the tokens back from one wallet to another wallet? And imagine it gets complex when you have lots of different countries and lots of different wallets and lots of different tokens. Eventually, we believe that 10 years from now, there'll be lots of corporations that hold you know a small percentage of tokens there. So you start with the crypto native folks first, uh, and then you, you evolve from there. We've also invested in a DeFi security play that would help you analyze, you know, on-chain and off-chain transactions, and, you know, maybe look deeper kind of into the who's, you know, and maybe do some blocking around kind of by, you know, certain wallet addresses, and things like that. And I know that you you know that company <laughs> as well as I do. And then the final thing that we've done is that we've announced as well, similar to Avalance, is upstream, upstreamapp.com is basically a no-code down the box, right? If you believe that, you know, there are LLCs out there and corporations, you know, do we believe that? DAOs could be a way to create entities, shared entities with people with an economic incentive. And then, if you believe that, how do you make it so easy for people that, once again, they don't even know what a DAO is? Just click on, here's voting. I can delegate on a one time basis to you, Ian. But the whole point is we got to remove the friction and make it easier and easier and easier for people to use. So these are real use cases. And in all those cases, none of them have real real tokens uh, involved either.
0: I love it. I saw a tweet the other day. Someone said, Definition of a DAO, an iMessage group chat with a bank account. And I was like, yes, it make sense.
1: <laughs> that is absolutely it. Right. The other thing we invested in, by the way, recently is the Brex for DAOs. So imagine this now you're in a DAO. How do you kind of manage the cash flow? What if you have an expense scene where you buy a computer and you're part of a DAO? Right. I mean, so these are the kinds of things that we're thinking about. If DAOs don't work or exist, then, you know, we have some problems. But, you know, these are the kinds of things that we have to invest in. We have to invest two, three years ahead of time, or even the change tip case. We invested way ahead of time and that didn't work out. But in the long haul, if you look at a portfolio of opportunities and founders, hopefully one or two or three, create some real, real long-term value.
0: Your firm's had some news uh, in the last few days, right? Big announcement, couple new funds. You want to share some details on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, so we were fortunate enough. We launched uh, Bold Start Fund 6, and we launched Bold Start Opportunities 3. They're two different funds. The total was about $367 million, but I think, Ian, you'll, you'll enjoy the number of Fund 1 was one nine two one six eight one one one, which, you know, I think many of the technical folks will know what that is.
0: If you know what that is, you're technical enough to raise a check from Ed and his team. That That's what we'll say <laughs> right there. We'll let, we'll let people figure out the puzzle. We won't reveal hey. it.
1: Exactly, and then the one seventy five was for existing companies that were scaling, so we can write checks up to thirty million plus as our portfolio grows. And you know, typically what we've done is about a quarter to maybe thirty percent has been in kind of crypto infra related opportunities, and you know, we're seeing more and more folks. You know, allow the Ian Andrews of the pivotal world, you know, taking their, their enterprise software and infrastructure hat and tossing their hat in the ring on crypto infrastructure. And that's been really, really exciting for us to see is kind of new ideas and new people, new ways of scaling, new ways of building, new developer tools. And I think that's going to be a fresh injection of talent and new thoughts coming to the whole industry.
0: I have to imagine, you know, putting myself in the shoes of the people listening to the podcast. There's definitely been some market volatility, right? I don't know that I'm ready to declare us in a crypto winter quite yet, but we're certainly well down off the all-time highs. The equities market is also well down off the pandemic highs. A lot of people, I think, would say that it would be countercyclical, maybe, to be raising a new fund now or founders uh, starting a new fund. You've obviously got a different perspective on it, like. How do you think about these market cycles? You've been through a bunch of them over your career, I'm sure. I've been through a lot
1: of them. Got sc- <laughs> I have scars you know, from the 2000s and the 2008s and the crypto winters. And honestly, I, I told someone the other day, is anyone that's going to start a company now has to be absolutely insane and crazy. That means they're truly on a mission to build something that they care deeply about because the typical startup is going to have ups and downs. And the ones who only do it for the money let's just say the folks for example who want to create a token and take the money and run you know are the folks that will go away when the times get hard and the folks who are on the mission are going to stick with it you know and i'll bring back scott yar right the, the person that we know I mean, he almost went out of business three times and we kept giving him checks and those are the kinds of founders constantine by the way from Block came and raised seven seed rounds no one wanted to fund him and here's the funny part that you and i were talking about earlier Ian, is that at the time we invested in blockchain in 2017 Anyone who was doing crypto investing only wanted to invest in something that had token. They wanted the the liquidity component to it. So there's almost like this hedge fund component to crypto invest, where where that's kind of alive on the token side. Constantine said, "I'm not going to launch a token. I'm actually going to build. I want people to help me build this business, to hire the right people, to to build the right infrastructure." And fast forward to today, I'm very excited to you know to see that he's worth about three and a quarter billion now, but that people finally now are allocating capital. The the token people are allocating capital to non Token opportunities and in infra as well, and I think that there's got to be more investing around that to you know help things become more scalable, more secure, and all that other stuff you know, that, that we need moving forward.
0: I will be happy when I see fewer tweets when token fewer comments in the discord channels too, right? Like the short-term speculation makes it really hard to build companies. I mean, seven seed rounds for Constantino and that that's incredible, right? But that business, it took holding on for long enough to meet the use case that made Black Damon necessary, which I think a, a big driver of that was more and more developers coming into the space who didn't necessarily want to run their own nodes, but they needed access to the chain or data served off the chain, right? And all of a sudden that suddenly stuck and their business has taken off, right? They're doing incredibly well.
1: Yeah, and here's the coolest thing is that we had the infrastructure and, you know, this thing called staking came around. Staking happens just to be an application running on the nodes, right? And what ended up happening, this is why I'm so excited about the next five years, is that back in 2018, some of the financial firms were digging around, some of the traditional TradFi firms are digging around crypto, but they went away very quickly. They're the first ones to leave. Uh, and then now today, I mean, look at, you know, for example, Goldman Sachs has invested in, Block Damon, we have uh, JP Morgan, we have City, We just brought in Salesforce. Uh, on Amber Data, we have NASDAQ. We have City, we have Franklin Templeton. I talked to a lot of these folks. Uh, you know, Fidelity talked about putting out Bitcoin in their $0. 401k. It's an asset class now. Why? Because individuals, uh, hopefully individuals will still want it despite the market volatility. But I think now it's becoming proven where wealth managers from Morgan Stanley, the TradFi five folks saying, hey, put one, two, three, four 4% in. Assume you may, get, may lose it all. But in the long run, I think five, 10 years, you know, overall, despite the volatility, we think we'll, we'll make some money. So if you invest... And infrastructure that helps these folks do their job better and faster and, and easier, I think that's also another attractive area because they're not going away this time. The money is here and there's a lot of money sitting inside of these asset managers waiting to get put into crypto and there's no easy way still. It's early days right now. It's like the first inning in my mind.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I'm, I, it leads me to the question of, you know, as you're looking at the the next investments that you'll make, What are some of the things, technology areas or innovations that are getting you pretty excited? Like, do you have a list of, hey, if someone's building uh, this kind of thing, it gets you to, to take a meeting or gets you really interested in the company and the idea?
1: On the one hand, I'd like to say that if we had a list of things, then we'd probably just be trading them ourselves. And then two is that we're so early. You know, as I said, we we find smart founders and collaborate with them. And we're typically two to three years ahead that I don't want to be so presumptuous that we would even know that. So I don't know. So let me walk in the door tomorrow with a next gen security play. I I think security. I think there's going to be so many elements of security. It's not just going to be one company that solves all of it from smart contract auditing to analyzing fraud. There's going to be kind of, it's going to be just like the regular security market. There could be a firewall for Dallas, for example, right? Imagine that. You know you have certain ip addresses try to take over too many uh nodes and you you shut them down immediately right and, and, and whitelist them in firewall i mean there's going to be lots and lots of things like analogies to the existing world itself i think that identity and the authentic who's going to build the verisign the certificate layer and the authentication layer for crypto no one's done that yet and the guys at valence are working on something and they've got a, a token that they're working on as well that's going to be part of the whole thing they actually let me let me give you a cool idea around that they have something that they partnered with Verizon on their token infrastructure called the Verizon Transparency Initiative. And every time they issue out a press release, you can go go to it now, there's a check mark and you click the check mark on and it's verified that nothing has changed and it's all written on the blockchain. If they go back and change a press release, there's another colored check mark on there. So the whole idea of creating this transparent news cycle that's auditable and trackable and traceable. So who's gonna do all that stuff? So I go back to core primitives of web two and I still think there's a lot of them have, that have not been solved yet. So I want to find the founders doing that stuff.
0: It makes a ton of sense. And obviously, your experience with firms like Sneak and Big ID and the whole portfolio in that security space that you've pioneered around—you're right. It feels to me like none of that exists in a well-formed way yet in in the world of crypto. But it's got to come.
1: Yeah, and and you know what? And you, know what I like to say, Ian, is that. We like founders and look, we do do some tokens. So we're also invested in a uh, token in a DAO called stakewise.io. We co-invested okay. with Bob Damon and that's a liquid staking protocol. And the core technology is super, super smart guys, Dimitri, Kirill and team uh, based out of Estonia of all places, <laughs> uh, you know. Their core protocol is about liquid staking, and they separate out the deposit and the reward tokens. you have two different tokens from which you can take more risk, let's just say, with your reward token. And the idea, to my earlier point, is that blockchain is working very closely with Stakewise to create kind of a KYC or institutional pool of a liquid staking kind of pool so that anyone that participates in this pool has been KYC but they still remain anonymous. So that's something that is is another kind of idea, you know, where people don't want to be locked up and want to be able to do other things with their assets. But my only point there is that when I worked with them they're like why should I take your money because you know in the good projects you have to actually convince them to take your money and we talked a lot about who's asked you about building your business? You have eight people now. How are you going to scale to 20 or 30? You know, what are the things that you need? What's your product roadmap? Like, how do you make decisions on what comes first or second? How do you think about raising capital for your company versus the DAO? right? So these are all the things they said, you know, well, you're one of the first people that asked me that question. I'm like, well, you know, you don't want to just have this token take off and be worth billions of dollars of value, create billions of dollars of value, but then you're kind of stuck trying to figure out how the hell to hire the people, you know, build the team and the process to make it happen. My point there is like, we, we want founders who, are kind of more stake than sizzle, kind of builders and you know, who are building more longer term value than that bid pop. Kind of you don't want that big IPO pop, for example, and then try to catch up. You want to build steady value over time.
0: Products that people actually use and get value from wins in the long run, right? Absolutely. It kind of brings up this point of in crypto, there's obviously a a fairly large amount of people who are just building for that you know, single pop. We see, particularly in the NFT cycle, there's been a bunch of the rug pulls. I think you might own like a a pudgy penguin, right? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not not to pick on that particular project, just they're sort of like representative of this larger trend of, hey, we've got a great idea or we've got something that a, a community gets really excited about. And then there's like, oh, no, there's now you've got the hard work of actually delivering on this thing that you got everyone uh, to buy into this idea that was really good. How do you discern between the founding teams that are going to build for the long run versus the folks that are there? They maybe had a great idea, but they don't necessarily have the follow through or the stamina to deal with going through seven seed rounds or nearly going out of business three
1: times to some of your earlier examples. Yeah, that that's a great question. I think first and foremost, um, when you spend time with the founders, you know what they talk about is the users. Why are they so? They talk about the problem statement, the users, right? Versus mm-hmm. talking about the tokenomics and everything else. You know, when people start yeah. talking about the tokenomics more than anything else and not talking about the users, in they need to talk about the pain. So, from our perspective, the best founders that we that we work with live, eat, and breathe the pain. They've been thinking about it in the shower for two to three days, they have two to three years. They're in the car thinking about it and just waiting for the right time to start a company. And we try to explore and understand why are you doing this and why now? What is your background? Some people's backgrounds for the whole history in their lives have, have been set up to do certain things, right? And others are not. And so I think that's a big part of it is really, you know, and, and unfortunately in, in the markets in the last two years, there wasn't enough time to even spend with people to even get to that level of depth. And so what you end up having to do is pass on a lot of these things because if you can't get that level of depth, or if they aren't people you've worked with in the past or come, you know, one degree kind of recommended, which is where a lot of our opportunities come, it becomes a huge challenge. And then when you add the liquidity component to it, holy crap, that creates a lot of scary, <laughs> scariness, right? Because imagine kind of having an eight-person company and having an IPO with no lockup on it, and, and the token can go from zero to a hundred and they could you know be sitting on 20, $30 million of value overnight, what keeps them around? And then if you have due diligence really quickly or, or, or barely any at all, it makes it very, very challenging. So to date, frankly, a lot of the investments we've made have been in C-Corps. We have a carve out to do uh, a little less than 20% into tokens. And we do have you know two token plays that we've done, but for the most part, we've been investing in just core C-Corp builders now and and we will continue to look at tokens, but you've got to find the right balance.
0: I mean, I think that level of caution is admirable given the last couple of years, right? It, more than a few people have gotten sucked into the zero diligence uh, term sheet turnaround in a day kind of situations. And it feels like it feels like that end of the market's probably heading for some pain here in the, in the near future, right? We'll see some of the air come out of those valuations.
1: The problem is, though, that those are the ones that are written about in the news all the time. But once again, then that means that founders that are building right now are the ones that are crazy enough to to really stick in it for the long haul.
0: I guess the big takeaway from this is if you're focused on security, developer-centric plays, if you feel that itch, uh, almost that burning need to start a company right now, you've got to go talk to the Bold Start team. They're interested to meet you.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, Ed, where can people find you besides this podcast? What's a good way to uh, to keep up with everything you and the Bold Start team are doing?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Ed Sim. Um, You'll see my my pudgy penguin with the magician hat and the Hawaiian shirt. I think that kind of summarizes everything. Uh, You can find us at boldstartvc.com or at boldstartvc as well. You can always ping me through, Ian.
0: (laughs) There you go. That's right. I will take uh, appointment setting for Ed. Just get in touch. Ed, this has been an awesome chat. I learned a lot. It gave me some optimism for where we're heading here over the next couple of years in crypto, regardless of the market price feels like your team and and a lot of others out there are investing in in building products and value for the long term, which is really, really exciting. Appreciate you being on the show. It was
1: great. Thanks, Ian. And by the way, huge congrats on Chainalysis. It's one of the core infrastructures that people will need moving forward and into the future and is not going away. So congrats on all that. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. Take care, Ian. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Key. We're releasing new episodes weekly, so if you liked what you heard, then don't forget to subscribe, review, and share. Here's something to consider while you wait on our next episode. It's been a year since El Salvador passed legislation declaring Bitcoin legal tender. 12 months on and the project has had mixed results. Government holdings of Bitcoin are down about 30%, and adoption studies indicate modest usage. However, El Salvador's president continues to be bullish. The government recently made their largest purchase yet, adding 500 Bitcoin to the national treasury on May 9th. Finally, if you're still trying to make sense of the collapse of the Terra Luna ecosystem, you have to read the latest Chainalysis blog, which is linked in the show notes.